When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for the VolQuest podcast, where we dissect the biggest news items of the week. Hey, good Tuesday morning, everybody. Welcome to the VolQuest podcast. I'm Eric Kane, alongside Austin Price, Rob Lewis, and Brent Hubbs. Big thanks, as always, to Exterior Home Solution. If you need roofing, siding, windows, or a garage, contact Exterior Home Solutions today. They've been local and trusted since 1999. That phone number for a free estimate is is 865-524-5888. You can always see them online at exteriorhomesolutions.com. Guys, it was a bad weekend for Tennessee on the road at Missouri, 36-7 to the final score. We spent the last couple of days recapping that uh, in word form over on the website, volquest.com. But Austin, overall, a couple of days out, you've had time to sit and stew on it. What happened for Tennessee? What was the biggest issue for Tennessee and why that was such a lopsided defeat? No juice. You know, uh, ineffective in the run game. Um, no adjustments on the defensive side of the ball or not enough adjustments on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Schrader shredded them and uh, Cook was cooking. And, you know, it, it just one of those uh, games where, you know, I think just everybody felt like, you know, OJ on Naked Gun when he goes down the steps, you know, you know flipping over and over and over again. Um, I just – that's – just a bad, bad performance. And I just don't, I mean, how do you flip the light on? You have Georgia coming in. It's easy to go, well, you should be able to get up for this one. They're the number one team in the country. But I mean, you played so bad. Like how, how do you, how do you get the momentum flip back to where you're just, where you're competitive uh, against uh, a Georgia team that uh, has clearly had uh, their number the last couple of years. Rob, you look at the defeat and of course, Tennessee's defense was not good, but offensively it was a, uh... A, career, a Tennessee low of seven points for Josh Heupel, the worst defeat in Josh Heupel's head coaching uh, career. He had three turnovers, a couple inside the 50. Um, t- Tennessee could not run the football. Offensively, it was it was a nightmare just like it was defensively. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have probably a lot of different thoughts than, than anybody else, but I, I would go back and forth to whether – was this more shocking than what happened at South Carolina last year? And I think, you know, with a couple of days to reflect on it, you know, I think this one was because at least, you know, Tennessee under Josh Heupel has an identity, and that identity is they, they score points. You know, may, this offense isn't last year's offense, but they still, you know. My, I guess my point is one year after scoring damn near 50 points a game, you go to Columbia, and you're the highest scoring team in college football. You go to Columbia and you can't hit double digits against Missouri. That that really blows my mind when, when you think about it. And and that that's why you know what, what Schrader did, what what Missouri did to Tennessee's defense, also eye opening. But you know the fact that I mean they're sitting there before the last drive of the fourth quarter, they have forty two yards rushing, and and that to me was just, I mean I, I I couldn't believe it. I was I was stunned about a lot of things on Saturday, but the, this the complete lack of you know being able to run the ball was was, was stunning. I mean based off you know this isn't. 
the last week of September. We've seen Tennessee run the football against good SEC defenses for you know going on three months now, and they just got stonewalled. I, I was I was taken aback. The good news, however, is that next year Tennessee doesn't play in Columbia, Missouri, or South Carolina at all. Um, you know, it, you know, I, Rob's question just now is a great question. Were you more surprised by last year or, or this past weekend? Well, I mean, I, you know, I think it's a great debate. I've had this debate with a lot of friends who have texted me. And um, last year's was more damning because of what was on the line. But it was not as thorough. I mean, last year's offense put up nearly 600 yards against sure. South Carolina. Yeah, and that's all, that's my point. All over the place. I mean, it, it wasn't like – I mean, it was a – Last year in Columbia, South Carolina was the meltdown of all meltdowns defensively. Okay, I mean, you you let a team that that couldn't do anything on offense for the for the previous month just go up and down the field on you. But you went up and down the field on them as well. This one on Saturday was different because you couldn't get off the field on defense, and then you couldn't do anything on the offensive side of the field either. That's the first time in the Josh Heupel era that both sides of the ball were just really, really bad for 60 minutes of football. And, and, and that's, that's where it's at. I mean, you look at it and, and listen, I, I know, you know, you can, and I had this question on the board on Monday for discussion, you, you know, you could talk about stats and this, that, and the other, you know, you didn't, you know, that game was still a, you know, Tennessee's it's 22 to seven in Tennessee's and Missouri territory. And they're going to be inside the 10, if not for a holding call. Right. So, you know, you're one possession away. You can be back in it. You know, defensively, you, you let them convert 65% of their third downs. So, you never you never helped yourself defensively by getting off the field. And then offensively, I mean, you go on the road in this league against somebody of some decent quality. And, and, and Eric, you have nearly 100 yards of penalties and three turnovers. I got a newsflash for you. You're not going to win the football game. And, and that's – that's what happened to Tennessee on offense. They didn't give themselves a chance offensively because of all the self-inflicted wounds that they had, and they didn't help themselves defensively because they couldn't get off the field. And I think it just goes back uh, to something we've we've said a couple times already this season. You know, this offense is not ex- explosive enough to kind of hide those warts, to overcome those penalties, to when one phase of your offense is being shut down or being severely limited. You know, Tennessee's not good enough to kind of overcome that. I, I look back at the 2021 game at Alabama where Tennessee rushed for like 45 yards or whatever. Tennessee was still in that game late in the game until, you know, until Alabama ran away with it because you had Hendon Hooker and because the passing game was effective and all that. You know, this year there's not that. When nothing is going right, when, you're, when your offense is being shut down for the most part in the traditional running game like it was Saturday and, and the penalties hurt you, you can't overcome that. Now, Tennessee did a little bit at Alabama when they couldn't rub with the tailbacks because Joe Milton was more a factor in the run game. He he was not, uh, and again, situational penalties, back it up, all that type of stuff had stuff to do with it. That just wasn't the case on Saturday. Um, it was just a, a really, really bad football game, but I think one message is clear, Austin, as we heard Monday and really even Saturday night from Josh Heupel. You got you to gotta check the tape. You got to try to learn from it and apply, apply it, but you got to move forward, and, and there's a sense of urgency now, especially with these seniors because you have two games left, one being against the number one team in the country, and then Vanderbilt to finish off this regular season and you know try to end on a high note. Yeah, I mean you've got two opportunities, and, and you're right. I asked Jacob Ward about that on Monday. You know, you know, as a senior, you know, and Jacob's not a real talkative guy, but do you feel urgency knowing that you basically got two more uh, two more times inside Neyland Stadium? 
And, you know, he said, yes. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, if you're, if, if it matters to you at all, this is where you got to kind of pick yourself up by the bootstraps. Cause I mean, Georgia's going to come in here and they're going to try to run you out of the stadium the same way they ran, you know, Ole Miss out of, uh, you know, Sanford stadium this past weekend, 52 to 17. Now it is a road game, different environment, but you know, they're going to come in here, you know, thinking, Hey, this is no big deal. We'll ho-hum, you know, we'll pound them just like Missouri pounds them, you know, and that's the team that beat Missouri. So, um, Tennessee's going to have to bring uh, everything they got, shoot all the bullets in the chamber, and you know, see what happens. Well, they're, the first thing to me they're going to have to do, Rob, is is they're going to have to be able to handle some adversity and keep it a sixty minute fight. That they've got to quit letting mistakes compound upon themselves if they're going to be in a football game where they're an underdog and nobody gives them a chance to win. Yeah, yeah and and for, you know, it felt so. <laughs> I don't know if this is exactly the perfect response, but. You know, it kind of felt like they did deal with adversity uh, on Saturday. I I kept looking at looking at the scoreboard like, you know, my God, they're they're still in this game. You know, it, it doesn't nothing that you had seen for oh, you know, three quarters suggested that Tennessee should be alive, and yet you know they were there. They were right? <laughs> there. They were right. You know, even into the fourth quarter. Um, you know, and I but so I thought they handled handled it. I, I guess, however, not maybe not great on, on Saturday, but they kept themselves in it. Now, Georgia won't let them hang around like that. I mean, if you're sitting there three quarters in and you're like, man, Tennessee's not done anything, then they're going to be down, you know, 38 to seven instead of 22 to seven. But, you know, I thought they kept fighting and, and, and scratching on a day when, you know, they clearly didn't have it until it just, you know, kind of all snowballed there in, yeah. late in the third quarter. And to me, Eric, that beckons the question. If you're looking at this thing and you talk about watching tape, flushing it, and move on, uh, is your takeaway from it of, well, we played as bad as we did and still had a chance in the fourth quarter to win, you know, and, and that's how you look at it? Or do you look at it and go, man, we were we were really bad from the start and, 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 and just played really poorly all the way through, and we were really fortunate to have a chance to be in it in the fourth quarter because Missouri couldn't put us away. I mean, I, I think it's an interesting approach to how you look at this when you self-evaluate it, you self-scout it moving forward. Do you say, hey, there's some major things we need to correct or some things of, you know what, oh, we're right there. We're a, we're two plays away from making this a, a, you know, having the football a chance to go down and take the lead late in the fourth quarter. I, I mean, I think a little bit of both, but more so than anything, I mean, you, you got to see – I mean, you got to see all the all the crap you put out there. I mean, look at it. Offensively, you did a couple of things early before, you know, as Rob alluded to, it kind of snowballed. Middle of the field, you know, Milton was hitting on the slants. Um, of course, you had that touchdown to Dante Thornton. You did a couple of things offensively that's like, okay, you got a little momentum here. Um, defensively, I mean, you lost Schrader from the get-go. I mean, you weren't covering him out of the backfield. You were giving up third down after third down. You you had the interception on, on drive number one. That was a good play by Jalen McCullough, a good return. I mean, that was that was a good start. But, you know, Tennessee still didn't capitalize off that the, the way you need to. Um, so I think it's a little bit of both. You can look at it and say, man, for as bad as we were, you know, we're still in this game in the fourth quarter. Or, I mean, you better go with the mindset of, oh, I did that wrong. Oh, that misalignment here, that's why you missed that. Oh, I over-pursued that play. That opened a big old, you know, crease lane that he could cut back and run through. Um, that's kind of the way I would look at it. 
when looking at the last two games of the regular season, Austin, how big of a loss is Dante Thornton? Josh Hoppel made the announcement on, on Monday. He's going to miss the rest of the regular season. They'll see about the bowl game. But a guy that had been absent all year long, starting to turn it around a little bit towards the end of the season, and then unfortunately got hurt on that touchdown reception, which was a really good play by him. Yeah, I mean, for the for the from a, from a production standpoint, it's not a huge loss, just based off of what he's done to this point. But quality body, a bigger body that can run, uh, that could potentially separate from a DB, and, and a guy that had started to kind of get a little bit more momentum, right, since they moved him outside. He was starting to make a play. You're right, he made a phenomenal catch um, you know, on that touchdown, um, his first touchdown of the year. And, um, I, I mean, it's a blow, um, you know, but from a production standpoint, it's not like you're losing a guy who has seven to eight catches a game and averages 90 yards receiving and a score, right? I mean, you know, production-wise has not been there, but he had started to kind of pick things up. You're just super thin there. And, uh, you know, Caleb Webb, I thought, played pretty well Saturday. Chaz Nimrod obviously uh, has has flashed a few times in previous games. And, you know, Tennessee's going to have to figure out a way with Squirrel White and Ramel Keaton and then the two sophomores or two, you know, redshirt freshmen to, you know, continue to have some semblance of uh, a passing game. And then do they try? Do they work in D. Williams? You know, uh, does it does it get more urgency to get him out there? Um, you know, just because of uh, kind of where they are at the position. But it, it, if anything, it should hover. It should you know let everybody on the staff know we can't be this thin. We have to correct that going forward. Like you're talking about a couple of injuries and you're super thin. Like two injuries shouldn't decimate a unit. Well, and I mean you're you're a what do you do at slot behind Squirrel White if he gets banged up in any yep. way? Nimrod. I mean, Nimrod goes there, and then you're playing – now you're playing Ramel Keaton, Caleb Webb, Nimrod, and if anybody else gets hurt, you're playing Nathan Laycock, who's played three or four snaps this year. I mean – I think they played Jancic. Yeah, they might play Jancic there. But, but my point is that the loss of Thornton is important because outside, Rob, he showed that he was more comfortable there but he was the one guy who knew the slot position and had slot experience more so than Nimrod has. So, so it's a, that's where the loss is, is it's the quality body that Austin's mentioned at both spots. One as a starting outside guy. And then as an inside guy as the backup. Oh yeah. It's, I mean, I can remember both of you guys talking about wide receiver depth back in, you know, fall camp. And, you know, at the time it, Oh, sure. You know, that won't happen. You know, that won't happen. And now, you know, here, here you are. And it's, you know, exactly, you know, I don't, I don't want to say anybody could have predicted it, but it's not that far fetched that you have a couple of injuries, you know, in this league in November. And now here you are and, and you've got a, a true freshman. that's a heartbeat away. And, and like you said, I guess he, he's been on the field, you know, five or six snaps this year and, and none of those and, you know, any kind of a meaningful situation and, and you're going against, what I would say is probably pretty clearly hands down the best secondary of the SEC this week. I mean, it's it's less than ideal. Yeah, here would be my question, too, to, to anybody who wants to jump in here. Did you take a look at Dylan Sampson some in the slot? But Because, I mean, he's not getting a ton of carries. What do you get, five touches on Saturday? Um, something like that. I mean, he, he's, he's not – I mean, he had the great fourth quarter at Kentucky, but he's been kind of your third guy and – um You've got a little bit of depth at the running back position. Look, he would run different routes. He can't run the over route like squirrel runs and some different things like that. But do you look at at trying to steal some snaps here and there 
with him at the slot position moving forward. AP, of, of this short of a turnaround, I would say no. I mean, you'd likely to see D. Williams because he's at least been at the position for five, six weeks. Um, I, I see what Brent's saying, but may, maybe maybe like going to the bowl game if you're still in the situation. But with this short of a turnaround, I would say probably not. You'd more likely see D. Williams, right? You know, I don't know. I I, I, I think that they're just going to, you know, kind of hope and pray that, you know, nobody gets injured and they don't have to even go down that route. I mean, the first couple of years they rolled with three, maybe three and a half guys total um, as is. Now this year they've had to expand a little bit with that because of injuries and such. Um, but I, I just think it goes back to you look at the whole offensive side of the ball minus running back, and you can see deficiencies, depth at wide receiver, depth at tight end. Now they've you know they've stayed healthy at tight end. Jacob Warren has stayed healthy his senior year, which is great for that kid because he's had some nicks and bruises through his career. Callan Castles has been healthy, so they've not had to really go to the, the well with the younger guy like Ethan Davis, who they like a lot. Um, but they're still super thin there. And then it, it offensive line, now they've taken a million offensive linemen, but I mean, how many of them actually do they have faith in to throw out there? I would tell you not many because I mean, there they were five, four and five minutes to go Saturday down 30 points. And yet they had everybody in. The only reason uh, um, Addison Nichols came in was because Ollie Lane went down. Like I just, some of the, 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 the substituting when you're down 30 makes, you know, lack of, or lack thereof substituting makes no sense to me. Um, but you know, to me, there's a real, uh, uh, I think a, a glaring need on the offensive side of the ball for either more depth or more quality players. I want to ask you guys some questions that we've been getting a lot on the board the last couple of days. But before that, a quick word from our friends and presenting sponsor of the Ball Quest podcast, that is Exterior Home Solutions. You know, life happens, and damage to your home can be extremely stressful. That's why it's important to find someone who offers efficient, quality work with financing options. Exterior Home Solutions they value not only family, but community. And they're who I call when life happens, and you should too. A big thanks, as always, to our friends Exterior Home Solutions for making this coverage possible. Again, that phone number for a free estimate, 865-524-5888. All right, guys, a lot of questions we've been getting on the board since Saturday nights, uh, Sunday, Monday, on into Tuesday, has been, all right, with the SEC East off the table, Kind of, what are you playing for? We talked about this a little bit on the Rocky Top Rewind, Brent. Pride, better bowl game, you know, NFL tape, all that type of stuff. I mean, those are the givens. What would you say, Brent, to the people saying, well, you know, might as well for sure now make the move and go to Nico, um, you know, make the move and play some young guys. You're seeing these young receivers playing. You're seeing these young linebackers, defensive linemen playing. A little bit of Ricky Gibson in the back end. So you're seeing a lot of youth kind of sprinkled in there now, you know, out of necessity. But for a Nico to get some reps towards next year, what do you say to that crowd now with two games left, Georgia coming to town, and then and then Vanderbilt? Well, I think with the Georgia game, where you're at right now, you line up and you play with your best eleven. You go play. You're playing the best team in the country at home. Uh, you got you got to do everything you can to make that a 60 minute fight. Now, if the game gets out of hand, gets away from you then I think it's a different story. I think you could make the case, and, and Austin just did a second ago but before the break, that you know, your substitution pattern when you're down you know, three or four scores in the fourth quarter is, is kind of a head-scratcher, right? So um, I, I think you can look at it and say, hey, if the opportunity is there, then, then certainly get those guys in. When you get into the Vanderbilt game, you're maybe having a different conversation. This, the, the, question, the answer to this might be different a week from now. I don't think you just suddenly say, hey, the number one team in the country is coming. Let, let's let's work in a bunch of young players who haven't played all year long 
into the second or third series of the football game against them. I, I don't, I don't see the, I don't see the win in doing that this week. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that as well. I mean, Georgia, I mean, Georgia's a really good football football team. I don't care if you're playing them at home or away. I don't think it would be smart to say, all right, well, Nico, you go get the third series or the fifth series or you know whatever the case is. Vanderbilt, I agree with you. I think it can be a different uh, situation. But but Austin, it's that precedent, right? Do you want to set that precedent saying, okay, well, if going to the SEC title game or the college football playoffs off the table, let's just go this complete youth movement? Because there were so many years, and I know it's a different time. Now you got a new head coach. You're successful. So many years you were fighting for, for bowl eligibility around this time of the year. Do you want that to say, like, okay, well, when those things are off the table, you just want to go ahead and say, all right, thanks for your service, move aside, these young guys get in. Kind of kind of, what's that line you balance, I guess, is my question. Well, I think more than anything, I don't think you may say, you know, I mean, I get a few fans maybe saying, you know, bench Joe, play Nico. But, I mean, I think the biggest thing is, is like, you know, is, is time and place in the game. Like, if Tennessee's, you know, playing Georgia Saturday and Georgia's up three or four scores in the fourth quarter, you should play a bunch of young guys because you need to see what they have and, and, and let them play. That's why I like Saturday. Like I thought it would have been beneficial for Nico, Addison Nichols, Ethan Davis, some of those younger guys to play the last five, six minutes of the game when you're down, you know, 30 points because that's road snaps. And I mean, it's not a great environment, but it's, it's okay. Right. I mean, like, you know, it, it would have been good and beneficial for those players to, you know, see the road, see a road, uh, you know, game and be on the field um, before next year when they have to go, you know, to Norman, Oklahoma early in the year. I mean, I, I just think ultimately that, you know, there is a fine line to walk. Um, but at the same time, I think you've got to start to, you know, work some of these younger guys in here, especially knowing that, you know, this this team has a shelf life of three more games. And, you know, you need to kind of figure out what you have in some of these younger guys because the portal opens here soon. Some of those guys may look to leave. You may want to keep them or vice versa. Um, you know, and, and you also need to know what you need to go and address in the transfer portal. Well, when you look at the Missouri game, I think a lot of people were frustrated at times with the play calling, kind of going back to, to, to that game. Um, Tennessee rushed for a season low. Tennessee's rush attempts were at a season low as well. Do you think that first drive, that first quarter, maybe got Josh Heupel out of the rhythm of offensive play calling, he and Joey Halsley, because, of course, you you ran three plays in that first quarter. It's easy to sit there and kind of get antsy. Tennessee just abandoned the run, I felt like, way too early. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you could make that argument, but also, you know, I just wonder how frustrated they were by, by the lack of success. I mean, I'm not inside either of their heads, but, I mean, you know, Golly, I mean, the longest run of the day came in the second quarter, 14 yards. And it wasn't like, you know, I, I didn't feel like the back from missing holes or missing creases. And I, you know, I get, I, I totally, you know, get what, where some people could say, you know, Jalen Wright had seven carries in that game. What's, what is that? I just, I mean, I didn't see a lot of positive reinforcement there for the ground game. I mean, anytime you have those, you know, that kind of number at the, at the end of the game and in your rushing totals, you're, you know, that criticism is going to be there, and especially when that's been your bread and butter. But, golly, I just, again, I just didn't see a lot of re a lot of reason or a lot of evidence for why you want to keep banging your head against the wall. And, and Milton was not bad, you know, at, at all, 22 or 34. And he was actually a little more efficient than that until, you know, it got into the, you know, for, where it was pass, pass, pass every down. So, you know, I, I, I don't – I wouldn't – 
just go overboard with, with the criticism of, uh, on the runs because you know, I just again I just didn't see a lot of reason to be hopeful. But you know, twenty three attempts I think is what they finished with. That that is pretty low, but probably you know the fourth quarter that wasn't really on the table. Well, down in distance took you out of that a little bit too. I mean, what, mm-hmm. yeah, two or three holding penalties, so suddenly now you're at you know first and twenty or second and twenty changes a, a little bit of that. Um, so I mean, I think that you when you get back to the end and you, you look at it, I mean, the game wasn't as far away from you as you thought it would be. Um, but man, I, for me, it's that opening drive of the second half is the oh, one. That oh, I, I thank you, Hubbard. I just keep coming back to that one. When you talk about the game and as bad as you were and, and, and as bad as you, you know, just crap the bed for lack of a better phrase, and that's not a good one to say at the end of the first half to, to blow the opportunity to score points and to give up just a gift three points to them, you still had a chance to start the second half. And, and that was just, that was the deadest, most disjointed start to a second half offensively that I can remember Tennessee having. That was just nothing about that felt good when they came out when they came down the steps out of the locker room. Nothing about that thing felt right to start the second half. You're, you're telling me the option to the short side of the field was was not the right call. <laughs> I didn't like it, AP. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest with you. I did I didn't like that. I didn't like that. I also didn't like the 85 mile an hour fastball on the three yard pitch. I just I didn't like anything about that about that scenario and about that setup there. Yeah. I mean, I, it was bad. I mean, I, I, it, to me, I thought I said going at halftime, I said this, you know, how hype comes out of the you know second half will be pivotal. And, you know, it was a, a bad first play call. And then, you know, just compounded from there. I'm a little surprised too, that they haven't thrown a few more. And I know they haven't gotten a lot of pass interference penalties in their favor. I am a little surprised they haven't thrown kind of a couple more jump balls up to see what would happen. Because you look at it, Squirrel Mike White made a made just a heck of a catch against South Carolina. Um, he made another heck of a catch against Alabama. Dante Thornton makes a heck of a catch. I mean, they've won a bunch of 50-50 balls, or a good number of them. I'm surprised they haven't thrown more 50-50 balls. Uh, when, when Particularly when the run game's just kind of stale and it's not going anywhere. Yeah. I'm surprised they haven't thrown one up to see if they get one. They they took a shot in the second half and got the pass interference penalty because the guy just tackled Squirrel White there. Uh, I'm surprised they haven't taken a few more shots that way, even though guys aren't wouldn't be ten yards behind somebody wide open. Yeah, I agree. Uh, again, you laid out some situations. The guys have won one on one battles. Uh, one one against Florida that I thought was really good was Dante Thornton. You know, down the seam. I thought that was another really good one. What? I'm surprised again, and again, I'm not a coach. You know, I, I think I know football. There's a lot that I don't know, but I'm sitting there watching that game, and and what I've gone back and reviewed a little bit, you could see Rob the adjustments that were made defensively at Florida when you were just getting pushed around the second quarter, come out the second half. You saw some adjustments made. I didn't see many adjustments, uh, you know, at least to, to my eye, being made in in this football game. They didn't want Brady Cook to throw over their heads. Allowing all the underneath stuff, did not get Trader out of the backfield hardly at all. Um, there was there was a lot of just kind of status quo defensively, and that was kind of kind of mind boggling to me in this football game. Well, I would say that it got worse when you in, in the second half, or at least you know, I thought you know Missouri the ground game certainly got more efficient. Um, it, it, it no, I would you know I'm not a coach and I don't know what went on at halftime, but no, I didn't feel like anything, you know, really changed for, for the better for Tennessee. It, 
in the second half. And I know, I mean, Hubbard, me and you have both written about it and talked about it. And I, I don't know if this is so much an adjustment as as it is just a reminder. Hey, watch out for this. You know, Brady Cook with his with his legs just killed him. Um, you know, how many – there were three of those third down runs. They were all deep in Tennessee territory. They were all third and – I think the shortest one was third and six. And, and he pops loose for, you know, double-digit runs three separate times, twice in the first half. And then was that late in the third or early in the fourth? First, the first, right? first play of the fourth quarter. On the goal line? Okay. On the goal – when he, he popped – it's third and ten. He gets loose for 25. I mean, I, I don't know if that's <laughs> – Adjustment may not be maybe too strong a word, but after the first one in the first quarter, you know, gathering, but hey, you know, rush lanes, you know, you got to you got to keep a, keep an eye out. I mean, those were those were some huge plays, huge. Oh, they were. I mean, they were ginormous. I mean, you know, the the first one prompted a twenty play, ten minute drive. You know that that completely got you out of any kind of hopes of an offensive rhythm in the first half, and then the one that you had, um, and to start the fourth quarter. I mean, you, you got a chance right there at 22 to seven. You get a stop and force them to punt. You're thinking kind of the A and M type game, you know, it's set up here. Maybe D can make a play and and hey, you get you get a little jump start of something that you need. The the most puzzling thing about those runs to me was the fact that Tennessee wasn't blitzing. They weren't in man coverage where DBs had their backs turned yeah. to the to the quarterback running away from him and he had wide. I mean, they're in zone. But they were so deep with their linebackers in zone and so scattered out that they couldn't close and and create a tackle there. Um, sometimes that happens in man coverage, but you don't see that very ha- happen very often in zone coverage. Uh, but boy, it, it seemed to show up quite a bit in, in those three opportunities. They may not have been an exact zone; it may have been a combination of some stuff. But uh, there were a lot of guys facing the line of scrimmage when he took off running. They didn't have their backs turned to him. Is what I'm trying to say. Three sacks by Tennessee's defense, five tackles for loss in the first half, no sacks, three tackles for loss in the second half. Tennessee just wasn't uh, making the point to get back there and, and, and try to affect the passer. And it didn't banjo it, didn't spy it with a star player, a linebacker. I mean, again, there was just a lot that did not happen in that football game from an execution standpoint and a play calling standpoint, in my opinion. All right. Um, quickly as we end here, the last couple of minutes, let's look at Georgia. We'll continue to dive in and learn more about Georgia as the week goes on, but uh, Austin, Georgia, 10-0, 7-0. Obviously, Georgia's who they've been the last couple of years. I think the biggest credit I can give to Georgia, I've said this a couple of times already this week, compared to the last two years, like, I mean, they're just good. And I think that's a testament of recruiting class, recruiting class, recruiting class, and good development. Um, lost a lot of name power. So is a lot of teams in the SEC and college football. But they're just all around a really solid football program. I mean, look at the stats. They're number two to LSU offensively and just about everything but rushing. Uh, where they're fifth they're on defense, they're number one in the conference and everything, but where they're number two in defending the run. Um, this is a good ball club, good at the line of scrimmage, good at what better at wide receiver this year than they were last year. And of course, you got Brock Bowers, who uh, missed a couple games, came back, caught a touchdown last week, and of course, he's going to play against Tennessee this week. Yeah, I mean, they are just uh, getting better and better by the week, Eric, and I think that's the. The one thing you can say about uh, Georgia and, and under Kirby Smart is they've routinely gotten better as the years went along, and Tennessee catches them right here near the end. Now, they do have the East wrapped up. They're coming off a bludgeoning of Ole Miss, and Tennessee's getting has gotten bludgeoned by Missouri, and, and they just beat Missouri. So how much does the human element as 18- to 20-year-olds kick in and go, yeah, this ain't no big deal. It's kind of like we had Aaron Murray on the nation Sunday night, and, you know, 
Chris said, well, you know, you're going to give us a prediction on your way out the door. And he said, well, yeah, 35-17 Georgia. And Chris goes, so you're not taking Tennessee? And he goes, oh, God, no. And that's how he just he said it. I mean, like, you know, I mean, like, that, and that I think that'll be the, the, the mentality of Georgia's team. Kirby will have to find a way to get them up. The one thing is it's, you know, it's, a, it's an old SEC East rival game. I mean, you know, they'll be up for the game. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that they'll be fully amped. So, you know, can Tennessee's crowd, can Tennessee – match enough of their intensity early, um, you know, to kind of, you know, hang with them. Uh, a Georgia team that, you know, again, doesn't have necessarily the star power minus Bowers, but they've got a lot of really good football players uh, that make a ton of plays. But uh, Like, look at this, Rob. I mean, defensively alone, no Nolan Smith, no Jalen Carter, no Christopher Smith, no Keeley Ringo. I mean, all four of those guys were drafted last year. None of those guys, and, and still on paper, and, and you watch what little bit we've, we've seen from them so far this season – I mean, top to bottom, they're just good. And you mentioned the yep. secondary, two safeties, super experience, two cornerbacks who pass, who you'll break up passes all the time, and a star player who is second in the conference in interceptions. Um, again, you're missing that NFL name power, but still just a really sound unit. Yeah, I mean, and, you, and like AP said, I mean, the thing that jumps out to me is they're they're getting better and better. I mean, what's I mean, Ole Miss? I know is not great defensively, but Georgia. You know, if you watched them early in the year, saw what they did against South Carolina, you know, you had a lot of questions probably about their offense. They're they're just coming. They, they threw for three hundred. They ran for three hundred Saturday night in an SEC game. I mean, that's that that's pretty serious. And they, I mean, average ten yards a play. Um, I mean, they're they're coming in hot. I mean, I, I'm not saying that you know, Tennessee can't can't pull an upset or you know it's impossible or anything like that. I mean, crazy stuff happens in college football, but um. Man, they are they are on the right trajectory if you're if you're Kirby Smart because to me it looks like they're getting better as they get deeper into the year. Well, the other thing too is you know I, I'm with you about Austin and you know maybe this is a potential game where human nature kicks in. This is the same program that was convinced last year they were going seven and five. So Lord only knows what they've got you know put up there and, and what the message will be <laughs> this week about you know how terrible they are. They've got no chance to win. I mean. I mean, Kirby Smart is a is a master motivator, and this team has college football playoff on their mind, and they know they can't slip up. I mean, I don't I don't think Georgia is going to be napping. Um, will they be at the elite pitch that they were a year ago against Tennessee? I, I'm sure not, but uh, I don't think they're going to be flat to be. You know, Tennessee's going to have to play exceptional to win this football game. And I know you weren't saying that they weren't going to have to be Austin, but I just have a hard time seeing Georgia come in with any kind of real letdown given the kind of motivation that, that Kirby Smart's been able to pull the, the last couple of years with his team, who's been heavily favored against everybody they played. I think Tennessee, I mean, if you, if you play up to your standard and play, you know, what you've seen at your best at points in times of the season, of course it can be a football game, but to, you know, to, to, to be there in the fourth quarter and to really have a chance in this thing, Austin, I feel like you just got to focus on what do you do best, Tennessee, run the freaking football, and stop the run, and then build off that. Um, Tennessee will not have a chance, in my opinion, if you are if you have a performance like you did in Missouri where you couldn't stop the run, where you couldn't run the football, you're going to have no chance against Georgia if that happens again. I mean, do what you do best, and then build off that, and then see what happens. Um, I, I think that's obviously, I mean, that's not that's not a you know rocket science there, but I think that's Tennessee's best path to, uh, to have an opportunity to, to see what happens late in that football game. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, they've got to prove they can run it against Georgia. They didn't really do it a year ago. Um, they didn't do it two years ago. Um, you know, can can they 
finally do it this year. I think it's more possible this year. Georgia's not got that heavy, ridiculous defensive tackle. They've got some really good football players, but they do not have Jalen Carter. And, like, you know, I just think that that interior guy that just shoves the guard to guard right into Joe's face, like, they don't, I mean, they're going to, again, they're going to move the pocket some, but it's not near what it was a year ago where, you know, Tennessee just got eat up in the middle, in the trenches. And so um, I think that, you know, Tennessee's got to be able to run the football. But again, they got to prove they can do it. And that's something they've not really done against Kirby Smart. Yeah, well, the reality is if they if they do anything like they did against Missouri, I mean, they wouldn't have beaten anybody in the league the way they played against Missouri. Yeah, They, they wouldn't have won at Kentucky if they played like that. They wouldn't have beat Texas A&M at home if they played like that. I mean, they got to flush that one and, and get that one behind them and get back to some kind of semblance of an edge like we saw the start of the Alabama game. And then you just got to stay in it, right? I mean, you just you just got to stay in it and keep – throw a haymaker and take a haymaker and and, and just kind of – to borrow a boxing analogy, you just, you just got to extend the rounds. You can't get knocked out early, which means don't do anything crazy from a play-calling standpoint, right? Don't turn the football over. Uh, don't give them, you know, cheap stuff and just kind of and figure out a way to stay in it. Um, that, that's what they've got to find a way to do, and they've got to have the crowd help them on Saturday. And I think getting out of gates in this game is going to be of vital importance for Tennessee. It is Tennessee and Georgia. Dolly Parton is going to be in attendance. She made that known on Monday as well, so it's going to be a big one. CBS kick, 3.30, and, of course, we'll have all the coverage right here at VolQuest.com. We got Tennessee-Georgia football coverage tons and tons and tons to get to this week we've got tennessee basketball coverage and there's no better time right now than to join volquest.com if you are not a member one dollar for one month or 50 percent off your first year annual subscription that is this week only right here at volquest.com no better time to come on and join our family great crossover season and a lot to be excited about if you are a tennessee fan uh, for Brent Hubbs, Austin Price, Rob Lewis, I'm Eric Kane. As always, a big shout-out and thank you to Exterior Home Solutions for making this coverage possible, 865-524-5888, and visit them online at exteriorhomesolutions.com. Appreciate you guys for joining us here on the Tuesday podcast. Enjoy the rest of your day, everybody. You've been listening to the VolQuest podcast every week here on VolQuest.